Welcome to First Church. Uh, my name is Zachary Fraley. I'm over our youth ministries here. I, um, I get to go to camp uh, with our kids, and um, I'm not the normal guy that preaches up here on a Sunday. Um, if it is your first time, that would be our senior pastor, uh, Pastor John, but um, I do get to preach up here today, and I'm truly excited for it. I'm ready. And um, just before I go on, though, I just wanted to um, just let you guys know that our senior pastor, Pastor John, is truly an amazing man of God. He is someone who lives his life on purpose, um, following after Jesus, and I'm so thankful to have him as a leader. I'm so thankful to have him as a pastor, and also I'm so, just so thankful to have him as our friend. So um, with that said, if it is your first time here, I just want to let you know that I remember the first time that I went to a modern church, or even just church in general. I was overwhelmed. I didn't really understand everything that was going on, but I want to let you know that it was the one of the most positive experiences of my life. It changed the trajectory of my life. It changed uh, my destiny forever. And and um, I just pray, my prayer and my hope is that if it is your first time here, um, you first off would know that no one's perfect and everyone's welcome. But I also, my hope is that you would receive, even if you just received a fraction of the hope and the purpose and the love and grace with which I received um, my first time, I, I, I am totally happy and um, totally pleased with that. So we just want to take a moment to welcome you if it is your first time. And I want to give a shout out to those who are viewing with us on our online campus and our Jasper County Jail campuses. We love you. Woo, yeah. We love you. We are so glad you guys are joining in with us. And in case you didn't know or you don't have me on social media, I totally just got back from a whirlwind three weeks. Out of the past three weeks, I've been out of, out of the state for two of them. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I got my cheering section up here. It's our movement camp kids. Um, but we, um, two or three weeks ago, we took, um, for a week, our, we took 13 students uh, from our student leadership team to Bullshills, Arkansas. It was a 10-hour drive down there. And we spent the week on a houseboat learning about Jesus. It was totally awesome. Um, it wasn't a vacation. Like, we did have fun. But more importantly, like, um, each night we had session and worship on top of the boats. We had um, the students slept out there. They were just surrounded by God's nature, by, um, you know, his creation. It was awesome. We were in the water most of the week. Um, so yeah, mo our fingers were like pruny all five days. And then here is just a group of the students. It was truly awesome. And we had um, students walk away with a sense of their calling and purpose that God had given them. Um, knowing, you know, m some of them walked away feeling called to missions or some of them call walked away feeling like they were called to work in church or even that they were called to walk or work in vocational ministry uh, or vocational like out in the world, but also to bring um, Jesus into that. So it was truly awesome. Here's a picture. We went um, water skiing on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I didn't do that because uh, last time I went water skiing, I ripped a uh, muscle. And, um, and and there we did water polo. It was totally awesome. My team lost, unfortunately, but my wife's won. So I sort of won in that, I think, you know, like I'll, I'll take it, right? Um, and it was totally just awesome. Here's a group of our students. Um, and then we also, um, this past week, went up to Baraboo, Wisconsin, uh, took 50, 56 people to, all together. Uh, uh, 49 students, and it was amazing. Um, we got on a bus, went up to uh, Baraboo, Wisconsin, and um, and just we were just focusing on Jesus. We were um, teaching them, um, you know, uh, scripture and um, how to read their Bible, how to truly connect to God. It was awesome. Um, and and within all of it, we went on a high ropes course. We saw students. Um, this is Noodle. Uh, we saw students, um, you know, overcome their uh, fear and choose faith. It was totally awesome. Um, let me see. This is Aaliyah Whitfoot. Our uh, impressions director and youth admin. 
you can't tell it, but she's actually working right there, okay? Yeah, she looks like she's laying out, but she's working hard. Um, we had, uh, a ch the students did a challenge course where they, you know, um, did a bunch of things where they learned about um, leadership and about communication, and, um, and it was totally awesome. Then we went rock climbing on an actual side of a mountain, which is one of my favorite things to do. The kids actually had an adrenaline rush that was other than like Fortnite or TikTok, which was amazing for most of them. Um, and it, it was so cool. I, I saw students, they were like, I'm not doing it. I was like, yes, you are. Put that harness on. You're going to get up on that mountain. And it was so awesome to see them choose faith over fear. And here is a student climbing up right there. There's our media director, David. He's actually climbing the hardest one. I did it. Okay. I did that hardest one, but I cheated a little bit over here. There are a few steps. It was basically, I took the elevator up. I was like, can you just pull me up? And then, and then we go. And then um, this is one of my favorite ones. It's called the chimney and um, it's actually in a cave. And so the students like climbed up into it. It was totally amazing. And then um, my favorite part of the trip, I, I look like a burnt chicken nugget here, but um, my favorite part of the trip, we do an overnight canoe trip where we canoe 14 miles down the Wisconsin River. Uh, we camp out on a sandbar surrounded by water, surrounded by God's nature. And, um, and it was just totally amazing. Um, all in all at the camp, we saw seven students make a decision to follow Jesus. Woo. <laughs> Also, I realized why, you know, youth pastors probably don't, you know, last into their 80s um, because camp beds are not that comfortable. I walked out the first morning. I was like, why do I feel like I'm 95, you know, with a back problem? You know, I was, I was tired, but, you know, it was so awesome to um, just keep pursuing that, to keep pursuing these kids and um, teaching them about Jesus um, while also, you know, in pain and sleeping on a sandbar. It was totally awesome. And um, in that, we saw students, you know, just walk away. It was, it was a maturing experience. And I walked away with the realization that five days of camp are just as important, if not more so, than 360 days of youth ministry, uh, because in that five days, it's just this concentrated form of ministry, um, this concentrated just Jesus and focusing on him, and it was so amazing. And now we are here. We got um, our students up on the front row or, you know, out here in, in their orange shirts, and we are uh, going to be learning today um, about a gauntlet. Now, if you don't know what a gauntlet is, that's okay. Uh, most of you may associate it with the word infinity gauntlet, right, that Thanos had and snapped. But um, the thing is, a gauntlet is somebody that in med medieval times would wear, you know, that would cover their hand. It was a glove. And if they threw down a gauntlet in front of you, that was their challenge. They were saying, I believe I can chew you up and spit you out. I believe that I can, I can totally wreck you right now. It's going down. I'm yelling, Timber, you better move. You better dance, right? Um, and in the Old Testament, there was this king who looked to God's people, the, the people, the Israelites, and said, you know what? I'm going going to issue you a challenge. I'm going to throw the gauntlet down right now. I am totally, he thought that he could destroy the tribe of Judah. And the thing is, um, it, it's the nation of Jerusalem, uh, the tribe of Judah, better known today as the Jews. Um, they were this, uh, they were a very important group of people. And um, they're the sort of people that God, they're the people that God chose to make his presence known in the earth at the time. And Israel still exists today. And I think that's really cool for me because I know that our faith isn't just built on a, a book that isn't backed up, but instead our faith is built on a God who proves himself time and time again through accounts of his greatness that are backed up by archaeological and historical fact. And specifically looking at the New Testament, it is not um, just, you know, one book, but it is a compilation of eyewitness accounts to Jesus and what he did and the miracles um, and the lives that he changed. So I think that that is so amazing that our faith isn't just built on fiction. Um, our faith is built on truth. Our faith is built on um, actual history that happened. 
And um, what is written in the book of Daniel, it's actually largely corroborated and backed up by, um, by many facts, but I just wanted to look today and show you the Nebuchadnezzar tablet that, um, that talked about the reign of King Nebuchadnezzar. And it actually backs up um, what, uh, it backs up so many archeological facts. It backs up so many names and corroborates dates and history accounts. And, um, and I love that. I love that the Bible isn't just um, a story, you know, that we tell our kids at night. It's not just a compilation of that, but it's a compilation of lives that have been changed, real life eyewitness accounts of the goodness and faithfulness of God that have been supernaturally preserved uh, for thousands and thousands of years. So today, um, I, I want to read these and I want to look at these knowing that this isn't just, you know, a bedtime story you tell your kids, like it, it, but it is something that is based on historical fact and truth. Um, you and I can, and as we read that, uh, we allow that truth to go in and change our lives from the inside out. So today we're going to be looking at the beginning of the book of Daniel. And uh, many of us know about Daniel, right? We've heard about Daniel in the lion's den. And as we look at this, Daniel was um, about 17 or 18 years old, culturally an adult um, in Jewish tradition. And um, there was this king, King Nebuchadnezzar, and he was basically, he wanted to be the tyrant. He wanted to rule the world. He was wanting total world domination, and he wants to be king of everyone. So one day he went to Jerusalem, he looked at them, and he said, hey, I think I can take you down. He decides that he is going to conquer them. And there has been so much strife and fighting within the nation of Jerusalem up until this point that they are basically weakened. They have been um, following after other gods and he totally beats them. King Nebuchadnezzar looked to them and he said, hey, y'all aren't that mighty. You've turned from your God and your strength is gone. I'm going to take you out. And this king, King Nebuchadnezzar of uh, Babylon issued this challenge. He threw down the gauntlet to God's people and he makes an attempt to not only conquer their land, but to conquer the minds and the hearts of the youth. Um, and unfortunately, God's people had at this time, again, turned away from God. They had been through king after king, one of which had only lasted like three months. Uh, I mean, you think your work has a high turnover rate. Uh, the kingdom of Ju uh, Jerusalem, like at this point, had a high turnover rate. And God allowed King Nebuchadnezzar to plunder Judah. And at this part of plundering, he took the best and the best of the kingdom. So if you have your Bibles today, we're going to be looking in Daniel 1. Uh, but we're also going to have the words here up on the screen. It says here, in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He came to Jerusalem, he besieged it, and the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the artifact articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. Then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court, of court officials, to bring into the king's service some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without any physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the, of the Babylonians. The king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years and after that they were to enter into the king's service. When I look at this, my thoughts go to the Israelites. I mean, come on. They had literally been defeated time after time again. Like th just three years prior, Egypt had come in and totally plundered them. And now three years later, after they're getting back on their feet, the king, uh, of, king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylonia comes in and totally wrecks them. They must be tired. They must be weary. I mean, they've had this high turnover rate of kings. And they must have been thinking, when is it going to stop? When is it going to get better? When am I going to have some good news? 
Have you ever felt like that? I mean, I feel, I've felt like that these past couple of months. It just seems like attack after attack is coming at you, like nothing can go right and everything is wrong in your life. It seems like you are being personally victimized by someone or something or by a certain year. I mean, come on 2020, back off. Can we have some good news for once? Maybe you even feel personally victimized by a year. In the beginning of the year, every church on the earth, they were doing this, uh, I, I looked around and every church was doing this vision call or this sermon series called 2020 Vision. And I'm like, man, none of us saw any of this coming. Come on, this has been the wackest year of my life, I think. And then to top it all off, when we were on the sandbar, we found out that TikTok might get banned. Oh my goodness, what are my teen? What are the teenage girls in my youth group gonna do if they can't learn all their dances and renegade, renegade? If you have a teenage girl and, and you like, and they're, they're doing this over like you know in front of a camera, that's what they're doing. They're recording a, a video of a dance and posting it onto TikTok. I mean. What are they gonna talk about without, with TikTok being gone? How am I gonna know what they're talking about with TikTok being gone? How am I gonna do my job? But I'm so, so sure the Israelites felt totally victimized. They felt totally attacked. They had just been conquered by, by Egypt literally three years prior. And now King Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon comes in. Not only does he conquer, take away their king in shackles and steal some of their holy relics, but he takes the brightest and the best. He takes their future doctors, their future kings, their future nobles, their future um, scholars and priests. Effectively, King Nebuchadnezzar tried to take away the nation of Israel's future. And I imagine the Israelites felt like everything was lost at this point. I don't know about you, but there were times in these past few months when I felt, when I questioned what my future was going to look like in the past couple of months. Like I was scared. I was um, wondering what was the point at many times, feeling like it was just hit after hit. And when was I going to be able to get back up? I'm sure the Israelites felt that exact same way in their account today. It looked like King Nebuchadnezzar had thrown down the challenge and totally won. Then entered a man known as Daniel. And I want to look at the life of Daniel today and how in the midst of everything that went on, in the midst of a challenge that was being issued to him, a gauntlet that was thrown down, thrown down before him, I want to look at how he stood up, how he stood firm, how he accepted the challenge, and how he stayed vitally connected to God. When the king Nebuchadnezzar tried to conquer Daniel's mind and heart, I want to look at how Daniel stood up answer the high call of God on his life. Many of us know the account of Daniel. King Nebuchadnezzar, he came in, he pillages everything, and then uh, Daniel chooses, he offers him some of the best food ever. He's like, hey, I'm gonna offer you food from my table. And Daniel says, nah, fam, I'm gonna choose to eat some rabbit food instead. Um, just give me some nuts and some, uh, some lettuce. I'll, I'll be good with that. Um, and almost, uh, it, and the thing is like, I'm like, what is happening? He, he, the king was offering him food. I mean, the food from his own table, that must have been really good food, not close to the food that my wife cooks for me, but really close, right? There we go. She's in the front row. Um, he then gives them new names. He enrolls them into Babylonian seminary, and he gets them ready to serve in his kingdom. To many of us, this might just look like King Nebuchadnezzar is being mean and spiteful. But what I really think of King Nebuchadnezzar is that he was this evil mastermind who not only wanted to conquer the kingdom of Judah, but also wanted to conquer the minds and the hearts of the children of God. He wanted to conquer their minds and their hearts and bring them over to his religion. So today, I feel like we're in this war room. I want to talk to you about the tactics that King Nebuchadnezzar used on the children of God, because I believe that our enemy, Satan, still uses those tactics on us 
us today to trying to conquer our minds and hearts. So I want you to lean in. I want us to grow closer to Jesus and let's become stronger and better for God's kingdom together. Today, I want to look at three ways that King Nebuchadnezzar tried to conquer the mind and the hearts of, uh, of God's children and three ways that the enemy still tries to conquer our hearts as well. So uh, our first point is ways the enemy tries to conquer our mind and hearts. He tries to disconnect us. In order to conquer the minds and hearts of the, of the Israelite youth, King Nebuchadnezzar took them out of their home. He took them from everything they'd ever known, from their lineage. He's uh, tried to disconnect them from their parents. He tried to disconnect them from their religion, their faith. Um, he tried to disconnect them from their heritage. And we see Daniel, this teenager, totally taken out of everything that he had known. I mean, uh, I don't know if you've ever been to a different place that's, Demo that's not Demot or Wheatfield, but I remember when I moved up here, I had just, um, you know, I'd been raised in Texas for most of my life, and I came up here, and it was totally different for me. I mean, not only were, was there more corn than people here. I mean, that was a little different, but, um, you know, I, I, I was like, wow, I thought I, I thought I knew what barbecue was, and um, now now everybody has sweet barbecue up here instead of tangy barbecue, and then on top of it, I go to a restaurant, and people are like, hey, would you like a pop? It's like, what's that? You know, I, I felt totally disconnected from everything that I'd known. I felt disconnected from, uh, you know, the country of Texas. I wasn't even close to how disconnected Daniel was, but it was still a little jarring for me. And Daniel is totally in this different place. They worship different gods. They have multiple ones. They do abhorrent, sinful things as worship to them. They offer food to these false gods. And there's a different language without a textbook or a dictionary or Siri to ask you to translate. They de dress differently, look differently. And everywhere Daniel went, I'm sure that he felt disconnected from his people, from his heritage, and from his family. And they tried to disconnect him from his God. When looking at the evil mastermind, I'm reminded of another evil mastermind that tries to conquer the minds and the hearts of God's children. And I see it happening over and over again. He attempts to disconnect us from our church, from our home. And how many of you were on fire for God back in January or February? I mean, you had a Bible streak on the Bible app to be rivaled with the popes, right? You, had, uh, you hadn't missed church since before you can remember. You had meetings set up. You were leading a life group or were in a life group and you were growing close to Jesus. You were on fire for him. And then COVID hit. Our worries disconnected us from the church. And we sat down to watch service online. But I'll be honest, it, it's not the same sitting on your couch and worshiping Jesus as it is sitting here with everyone in our church family spurring us on. Our enemy seeks to disconnect us from God and from his church. Maybe you started going back to the sin or addiction that you had given up. You started, maybe you started feeling condemned, like you couldn't go back to church. You've messed up so badly. You started feeling disconnected from God. And I'll be honest, that's where it starts. The enemy gets us by trying to disconnect us from God. And that's what Nebuchadnezzar does here to Daniel and the Israelite youth. He takes them from their home and seeks to disconnect them from their lineage. And he seeks to disconnect them from their God, the only true living God. Have you felt that recently? I know that I did when the pandemic hit. I was taken out from my church. I was taken away from my support unit. I had, you know, Zoom meetings weren't the same. I felt so discouraged with everything. But now I'm so glad to be back, to be home and not be disconnected. But I see what Nebuchadnezzar tried here. And I see how the enemy tries it in our lives. When we feel disconnected, even if we aren't, just feel it. We start to disconnect ourselves from the church and from God as well. So how do we battle the enemy's tactics here? We purpose ourselves to stay 
stay connected to God. No matter what, we pick up that gauntlet, we pick it up, we pick up that challenge, we stand firm and we say, I'm going to stay vitally connected to God and to his church. No matter if there's a pandemic, no matter if there's a mask requirement or whatever is thrown at us, we have to purpose ourselves to stay vitally connected to God and to his church because it's in the church that we have help staying connected to God. It's in the church we are spurred on where our fire for Jesus is fanned to flame and where our support unit is. When the challenge was issued to Daniel that tried to disconnect him from God, he answered it. He vowed to stay connected to God no matter what. He didn't allow his fears to disconnect him. He didn't allow everything that was going on to disconnect him, but he purposed himself to stay connected to God no matter what. Are you purposing yourself to stay connected to God? Are you, are you picking up the gauntlet and accepting the challenge in the midst of the enemy trying to disconnect you? What are you doing in order to fight back? How are you answering the challenge, picking up the gauntlet and staying connected to God and his church at this moment? Um, how are you staying connected to Jesus most importantly? What I've learned from all of this, from the past few months of craziness that have gone on, I think that the biggest message that I can take away is that through everything that has gone on, the only constant thing, the only only thing that has been consistent through it all has been Jesus and has been his love for us and his children. And, and the thing is, um, King David, he realizes this and he actually writes it in the Psalms. He says, some trust in chariots and some in horses, some trust in, in all of the stuff that is going on, but we trust in the name of the Lord our God. We trust in God first and foremost because we know that the grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Our relationship with God is going to be the thing that echoes into eternity. Who is your trust today in? And how are you purposing yourself to stay connected to God and to his church? The first way the king tried to conquer Daniel's heart and his mind was to disconnect him from the church. He tried um, to disconnect him. And the same way the enemy tries to conquer our hearts and mind is to disconnect us as well. The second way the enemy tries to get us um, is he tries to feed us. Now, go with me for a second. Why would a king give some runs from a kingdom that he just can't, uh, that he just conquered his food. Why would he say, you know what? You get, you can have the best steak ever. You can have the jelly donuts that are reserved only for me. You can have um, the stuff from my vats that are only reserved for the king. Why would he give a portion to these boys um, from, uh, of the food from his table? I'll tell you why. Because he wanted these boys to experience the, del uh, the, the delicacies. He wanted these boys to experience nourishment. He wanted these boys to um, experience fulfillment from him. He wanted um, them to know that they were fed from his hand and he wanted them to know that the goodness that fed and nourished them and kept them alive came from him. And as such, if they made him mad, he could stop it at any time, at any moment. The king here wants the boys to see him as their source of food and nourishment. He wants them to identify him as the reason they are alive and well. He wants them to see him as their source. And I see the enemy trying this tactic with the children of God as well, throwing down the gauntlet and challenging us day in and day out. And, and just so you know, uh, Satan, our enemy, he isn't some little man in red spandex, you know, with a pitchfork, but he comes in the forms of our greatest desire. He comes, um, Satan looks appealing. He looks like the thing that you want more than anything else. He comes in the form of fame, in the fa uh, form of glory, riches, popularity, or notoriety, whatever you might want more than God. But Daniel saw through the king's tactics, and again, he, he picked up the gauntlet, he picked up the challenge, and he spoke to the king. And he said, Daniel resolved, he, he resolved and he purposed himself not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. 
I've got to go, I've got to um, take you for a moment with me. I was thinking about this, right? Uh, How could Daniel resist like the best food of the food? I mean, I don't know if I could have done it. I have a hard time going to SB19 and not getting a burger and and onion rings and, and, you know, the pickle spears, right? And and ordering a salad. My wife's like, honey, you you need to eat a salad. I'm like, I'm going to eat a burger. You know, I can't control myself. It's okay. But the thing is, I don't know how Daniel purposed himself to not, you know, to not eat from the king's food, a steak that was cooked perfectly, jelly donuts you know, curly fries. I mean, imagine all of that. But he asks if he can abstain from that and, um, and from eating the king's food. And Ashpenaz, the official, was scared that moment. He was like, well, if you get sick, if you, uh, if you get sick or you start dying, like that's gonna be my head. I'm going to be the person that dies. But then Daniel looks to him, says, Daniel said to the guard, whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, he said, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and he tested them for 10 days. After 10 days, it says the four boys, they look better than the other boys. They were healthier and better nourished. And the tactic I see here is so obvious. The challenge that is issued to the children of God is so obvious, but it gets so many of us. The king wanted the boys to see him as their source. And the enemy wants us to see the world as our source. The enemy wants for you to think that the world is your source, where you get your happiness from, where you get fulfillment from, that it's only in the world and doing sinful things that you can find true joy. But I love how Daniel chose not to defile himself, how he doesn't choose the easy way out, but he stood up. He accepted the gauntlet. He accepted the challenge. Why? Uh, and, and, and it's hard to do. Why? Because sin is fun. Uh, sin feels great in the moment. I've heard it said, if you're, if you're not having fun with sin, then you're not doing it correctly. But I want to tell you, at the end of every party is a hangover. At the end of every hookup is regret. At the end of every gossip session, someone is being hurt. And at the end of every time we sin, there's a void that gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Sin, satisfi- sin satisfies us for a season, for a little bit. But at the end, we are left hurting and we are left broken. And it could have been so easy for Daniel to compromise. It would have been so easy for him to just eat all the Big Macs that the king had given to him instead of the rabbit food that he had requested. But he realized that if he kept compromising on the little things, he realized that that if he kept compromising on the small things, eventually it would lead him to compromising on the thing that mattered to him most, his faith. He answered the gauntlet. He took a stand. He stood up and God saw it and blessed him immensely. The king fed the boys because he wanted to be seen as their source. But Daniel knew who his source was. He knew it was God. And when he chose to see God as his source, it gave him strength and it gave him um, strength to turn down the king's food. He accepted the challenge and abstained and God blessed him because of it. It says at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nursed than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature, learning. They were smarter than anyone else in their class. And Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. When we choose to accept the challenge and not compromise, I believe that Jesus blesses us as well. Maybe not with an easy life or with money or fame. Remember, those aren't the things that we should be seeking after, but he gives us better gifts. He gives us his grace. He gives us his peace. He gives us his joy resident inside of uh, of our hearts, and he gives us eternity secured by his sacrifice on the cross. He gives us eternity with him in his presence. 
I just want to ask you for a moment, in what ways have you been seeking the world as your source? How have you been being fed by the world? Or how have you been seeking fulfillment from the world and the things in it? This isn't a moment to bring shame and condemnation. I just want to ask this as a moment for you to quietly reflect, as a moment for you to ask yourself a hard question and get some real truth in your heart. Because when we seek for the world to fulfill us, we just become emptier than before. Daniel knew this and he resolved and purposed himself to only see God as his source. And Jesus even reminds us in Matthew 6, 33, uh, that, that it is only in him that we find fulfillment. Um, he says, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness and all the things will be given to you as well. As we seek God first, as we purpose ourselves to follow after him with everything that we are, he gives us joy. He gives us peace. He gives us fulfillment. He gives us eternity with him in his presence. Where have you been seeking fulfillment from other things that weren't meant to fulfill you? What are the things that you need to turn from? It wasn't easy for Daniel. It's not easy for me. It's not easy for anyone. But I want to tell you, it is worth it. I'm sure it was hard for them to rise to the occasion and to accept the challenge that was given to them. Um, The gauntlet. The king threw down this gauntlet and he challenged the boys. He uh, uh, had conquered their land. And now he was trying to conquer the minds and the hearts of these young men. He sought to disconnect them and he sought to feed them. And the last way that the king tried to, dis, uh, tried to conquer the hearts and minds of these boys, I think is the most dastardly and evil way. I, I sort of think like King Nebuchadnezzar, as he's sitting in his throne, you know, and, and his hands are, are, are like this, and they're, you know, a little creepy, like an evil mastermind. He has his pinky up, and he's thinking of ways that he can truly conquer them. And I think this is one of the, the most dastardly ways that the enemy tries to conquer the, the hearts and minds of the children of God. He tries to redefine us. When we read this account, we see that the boys all had names, that the names that in the Hebrew connected them to God, reminded them of who God was. It reminded them of their heritage, it reminded them of their lineage, but it, more importantly, it reminded them of the power and the faithfulness of God. As we look at the boys' names, we see that Daniel's name was God is my judge. Every time he wrote his name down on a check, every time he, he typed in his name or wrote it on the top of his paper that he turned in for school, he was reminded that God is his judge and God would be his judge at the end of his his life. Every time his friend Hananiah, uh, his name was called, or he got in trouble, and his mom was like, Hananiah, get over here right now. He was reminded that God is gracious no matter what. Mishael's name was, who is like God? There's no one like God. Every time someone would say his name, he remembered that, and Azariah's name was God helps. God will help him no matter what. The king in this moment sought to give them names that disconnected them from, uh, not only from their culture, but disconnected them from their God. And he changes Daniel's name to uh, Belteshazzar, which means Bel protect the king. It was the name of a false god. To Hananiah, he gives the name Shadrach, which means that you are under the command of Aku, this, the moon god, right? Oh, creepy. Um, Mishael, he gives the name Meshach, who means who is like Aku, the moon god, right? And then to Azariah, he gives the name Abednego, servant of Nabu. As if Nebi hadn't disconnected the boys enough, he now sought to redefine them. And the boys' names originally, they were reminders of who God was. Uh, They were connections to God. Their names, their very identity was rooted in God. And King Nebuchadnezzar attempted to remove that from them. He sought to redefine them and reconnect them to his gods. These boys, they had a God-given identity. Every time someone called Daniel by his name, he was reminded of who God was. Every time he wrote down his name at the top of his paper, he was reminded of the greatness of God. And then the king tried to take that away and give him a new identity. 
And I started to think about it. I mean, at this moment, Daniel has a clean slate. He could have chosen to follow after the things of this world. He could have chosen and given in. It would have been easier for him to take that new name. It would have been easier for him to eat from the king's table. It would have been easier for him to disconnect from his, um, from his seemingly fallen land just to give in to social pressures. He could have changed his name on Instagram, taken the Bible verse out of his, um, out of his bio and deleted all um, the, the Jewish you know, um, things that connected him to God. It would have been the easy way out. No one would have given him weird looks when he said, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. No one would have seemingly forgotten to invite him to a party. He would finally be able to fit in if he just chose to give in, said what others were saying, chosen to believe what others spouted as truth, even though he knew that everything that they said was, uh, was based on fiction and lies and superstition instead of the fact and the faith that his faith was built on. It would have been so easy for him to give in, eat the king's food, take the king's name, just so, in, in, in the same way, it is so easy for us to get disconnected from God. It is so easy for us to find our source in the world. And it is so easy for us to take the identity that the world and others try to give us. But once again, we see Daniel rise again to the occasion. Once again, we see him stand up, take up the gauntlet and say, I am not going to, uh, to allow you to define me because I'm only going to allow the creator, the one who made me, the one who knit me together in my mother's womb to tell me who I am, who I should be. He fights back and he, uh, he refuses to be defined by the world. What is the label the world has tried to stamp on you? How has the world, how has the enemy tried to redefine you in the past or even in the present, which is in direct opposition to God? Again, I see this tactic used so much on the children of God. Uh, how many of us are going through identity problems or have gone through identity problems? Maybe you messed up in your past and, and people keep reminding you of who you were before Jesus. Maybe you are new to this whole Christian thing and you don't really feel like you belong. Maybe you have a hard time seeing yourself as forgiven or you are holding on to your past identity. Maybe you can't fathom that the God of the universe would love you so much that he could forgive you, much less that he would exchange his own son for you. I get it. I've been there. I was someone whose identity was so rooted in my sin that I had to leave everything that I had just so I could get a clean slate with Jesus, a new identity with him. I sought Jesus and asked him to redefine me and align my life, my plans, and my purposes with him. I remember it was a particularly hard struggle for me. I gave my life fully to Jesus when I was in college. And at that moment, I had to turn from sin to the Savior. I gave up drugs. I gave up drinking. I gave up um, partying. I gave up sleeping around. I gave up. I stopped hanging out with people who sought to, re, who sought to define me as my pre-Jesus self. I stopped the things that I sought that sought to define me apart from God. I started attending church. I started, you know, having an overflow out of my heart post on my social media. I started talking about Jesus wherever I went, going to Bible studies, having a joy inside of my heart that was inexplainable peace that was unexplainable. And I started asking people who and what their faith was in. And everyone told me what I was doing was wrong. Everyone told me that I couldn't be, I couldn't, uh, that I was making a mistake, that I w could not redefine myself, that I couldn't change, that my old self, the one they all knew was who I was. I refuse to allow the world to define me. And I want to let you know, refusing to allow the world to define you, it's hard. I remember I lost friends because of it. I lost family members at the moment um, who have come back. But in turning from my old self to new creation, I was in Jesus. I found true peace. I found purpose and a joy that changed my life and the trajectory of it. I once was a man hell-bent on pursuing my own desires and my own, fleshly, and my own fleshly wants. But now I stand before you a man heaven-bent on knowing Jesus and making him known to everyone that I meet. And the thing is, 
accepting the gauntlet, standing firm, accepting the challenge, guys. First Church, it is hard. It is not easy. It still isn't. It would be so much easier for me to be living my life, doing whatever I wanted, not having to fight against my sinful desires every day, not having to, not having to uh, daily die to myself. But I know that Jesus is so much better than anything the world has to offer. I know that Jesus and his calling on my life is so much better than anything that the world can give. And Daniel knew the same thing, that God and serving him was so much better than anything else that could give him, uh, the world could give him, that the affirmation of his heavenly king was so much better than the accolades of an earthly king or person. Daniel knew that the affirmation of your heavenly king is so much better, so is worth more than the accolades of an earthly king or person. I don't know where you are at today, but I do know that God has an identity for you that he picked for you before the beginning of time, before the beginning of the earth. And he has a desire for you to live that out. His desire is that you accept the gauntlet, that you stand up and that you take the challenge that, that the enemy has given you and you stand in your faith, even when it's hard, even when it's difficult, even when society says to go the other way and to give up. I look at the king's tactics, which are truly the enemy's tactics for the children of God. And I believe that if we are equipped with the truth, we can accept the gauntlet every single day. We can truly be relentless as we pursue generation after generation. As I look at this, the king, he, uh, he sought to disconnect us. The enemy seeks to disconnect us. He seeks to feed us, for, uh, to give us, make us find our source in the world and seeks to redefine us. But Daniel didn't fall for the king's tactics. How we answer the challenge is we stay connected to God no matter what. No matter what is going on, we, we purpose ourselves to stay connected with God, to stay connected with his church, to stay connected through prayer, through reading the Bible. Daniel purposed himself to praying three times a day, to staying connected to God no matter what. He sought after God with everything that he had, and he stayed vitally connected with God through everything. He refused the king's food. He refused to have the world as his source, and he sought to be defined only by God, only by his king. And as I look at this story, I realize that Daniel was the only one, the only one to retain his, uh, to retain his name, to keep it. As we look at the other boys, uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and um, Azariah, they all went to the social security office and changed their name um, to, their new, um, to their new names of the Babylonian gods, but not Daniel. He refused to be defined by anyone else. What can we learn from this? That we have to fight to stay connected from God. We have to fight to refuse the world and we have to fight to become defined only by God. When I look around this lobby or when I look around this room or I stand out in the lobby, I see men and women. I see men and women of God who are mighty and strong in his name. And I, see, and I stand here firmly and I tell you that I know in my heart that God didn't create you to be a lukewarm Christian. God didn't breathe his breath into you uh, for you to just be a nominal believer. God didn't choose to live inside of your heart just so that you could be like everyone else. God created you to be his force here on earth, to be the ones to reclaim the world for him, to be the ones who spread his name, his greatness, his glory to every corner of the earth. I feel like there are a lot of people who have accepted the names that the enemy has tried to give you. Maybe the world has tried to stamp you with a name that you are messed up, that you are too far gone, that you will never be forgiven, that you are messed up, lost, that you are not good enough, that you are unworthy or unloved. But I stand here and I want to let you know that God has a different set of names for you. If you choose to let him define you and nothing else. 
I mean, after all, he is the one who created you. He is the one who, who called your name, who, who set you, who made you together in your mother's womb. He's the one um, who saw your need to be born and, and alive right here and now. He's the one who created you, and you should allow him to be the one to defiance you. In 1 Peter 2.9, we see uh, the, the identity that God has for the children of uh, God. It says, you are a chosen people. I want you to read this as, as if it's being spoken to you. But you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. You are a chosen people. You are chosen by the creator of the universe. You are chosen by the king of kings, the alpha and omega, the one, the beginning and the end. You are chosen. You are the reason that you are the one that Jesus saw as he hung on the cross and gave his life. And you are the one. And if you were the only one to ever believe in Jesus, he would do it all over again so that he could spend eternity with you. You are chosen by the king. You are chosen by Jesus. You are a royal priesthood. You are the one who Jesus has made holy, who Jesus has made royal, who Jesus has called to help spread his, his name and his, uh, his gospel around the earth. You are the ones he is tasked with reaching your family, your friends, and acquaintances for God. You are the one he's empowered with his Holy Spirit to live a life and tell everyone about what he has done in your life. You are adopted by the king of heaven, and you are royalty. You are a holy nation. Holy means set apart. Holy means unlike everybody else. You are people who are set apart, who are set apart for God. You are the one who God has chosen to pour out his grace, his forgiveness onto you. You are the one who he has made white as snow if you've chosen to follow him. And you are the one that Jesus has made holy and righteous and blameless in his sight. You are a holy nation. We are a holy nation set apart for God. And you are God's special possession. I love that one. Uh, we are special. He delights in you. He loves you. He sees you as special and amazing, and he is proud of you. God did all of this so that you could tell others about the glorious things that he has done in your life, how he has pulled you out of darkness and how he has set you up in heaven, how he has pulled you out of where you were once destined for hell, destined for eternity, apart from him, how he has now destined you for heaven and eternity with him. He did all of this so that you can declare his greatness wherever you go, wherever you go into Hebron, wherever you go into Demot, wherever you go into Weefield or Rensselaer or Crown Point. He has done this so that you can declare his greatness wherever you go so that we can truly see generation after generation become fully devoted followers of Jesus as we relentlessly pursue the challenge that Jesus has for us. As we relentlessly pursue people who are disconnected from God, who have the world as their source, who are being defined by this world. But God has called you to help save the lost and help them be found, to help bring the broken and weary to him. God has called you to change the world, not with hate, not with condemnation, not with judgment, but with his love. If you're in this room and you've made Jesus your leader and forgiver, but hey, you know, in the past few months, you've sort of been disconnected from him or, or you just want to be reminded of his goodness and his love. I have this Bible reading plan that I just, I wanna challenge you. Um, if, if you choose to pick up the gauntlet, I'm throwing down the gauntlet right now. I wanna encourage you to pick up this gauntlet and start this five-day reading plan. It's all in all. And it's this reminder that Jesus is our all in all, that he should be our source, that he should be the one that truly defines us day in and day out. If that's you, and even if you just wanna be reminded or if you've been disconnected, 
connected. I want to encourage you to take a picture of this. Start it on the Bible reading plan. Or start it on the Bible app, you know, today or this weekend. It's, a, it's an easy five-day reading plan that re- it reminds us that Jesus is our all in all. I want you to, I, I want to ask you to do that. I want to challenge you to do that. And I want you to, cha- I want to challenge you to decide how you can truly uh, seek Jesus as we connect with him, see him as your source, um, and, and allow him to further define you as the person that he is calling you to be. If you're in this room and you've never asked Jesus to come into your heart, if you're in this room and you can hear my voice or you are viewing with us online right now, we're at our Jasper County Jail campus and you haven't asked Jesus to come and live in your heart, you haven't made him the Lord and leader of your life, I want to ask you, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? The decision I made to follow Jesus was the best decision of my life. The best decision I ever made. It changed my life forever. And now I stand before you, a changed man, not by might, not by power, but by his Holy Spirit. It changed my life forever for the better. And I stand, and it started the moment I turned from sin to my Savior. It started the day I gave my life fully to Jesus, and I asked him to be the leader and forgiver of my life. It started the day that I gave everything to him, my sin, my brokenness, every mess up, every failure. And I said, Jesus, will you make something beautiful out of this? And he wants to do the same for you if you've never chosen to follow him. He wants to redeem the brokenness of your life. He wants to make you new. He wants to make you holy and blameless in his sight. In a moment of privacy and concentration, when everybody just bow their heads and close their eyes, all throughout this room and even um, on our live stream right now, I just believe that there's something na- supernatural that happens when we acknowledge God in the natural. If you're in this room and you want to take a moment to, to say that you mean business with Jesus, that you're ready to go all in with God, would you just raise your hand? Would you just take a moment to be bold? I see those hands. I see those hands all over the room. Anyone else? I want to encourage you to pray this prayer out loud with me. And I actually want everybody to pray this prayer as a reaffirmation of our faith out loud. Say, dear Jesus, I believe you came down from heaven. You lived a perfect life and you died on the cross for me and all those who believe. Come and live in my heart. Make me new and teach me how to follow you every day until I get to be with you in heaven. It's in Jesus' mighty name that we pray. And everyone said, amen. Can we give a round of applause for those who've chosen to follow Jesus? If you did take that next step of faith, I would uh, I would just love for you, if you're in this room, you took that next step of faith, or you are online, I would love for you to text all in, all one word, to 474747. We would love to connect with you. We would love to equip you with how to connect with God, how to find him as your source, and how to allow him to fully and truly define you each and every day. But with that said, will, will you stand really, will you stand up right now? Our band is going to lead us in one more song, one more song of victory, one more song where we declare the promises of God, and I want to encourage you to sing this out loud and proud with them.